Jack and Grace met through a mutual friend. From day one, they seemed to be the perfect match. Grace was everything Jack had always wanted. She was beautiful, outgoing, caring, and always there when Jack needed her. For the first five months, they were inseparable. Jack could hardly think of anything but Grace. He did not need to look further. He told friends this, she is the one. Now almost three years have passed. Jack still enjoys the comfort and familiarity of being with Grace, but the spark is gone. Jack, or Grace's flaws seem more obvious now. He's not sure he finds her as attractive as he once did. And he's beginning to resent all the time she wants to spend with him. One night when she asked if they can define the nature of their relationship, Jack blows up. He asks, we're together, aren't we? Why isn't that enough for you? Obviously, Jack isn't ready for commitment. And it is unclear if he ever will be. Have you ever been in a relationship like that? Try to define a relationship? It can be difficult sometimes. God, and by the way, if you ever have been in that kind of a relationship, God has something better for you. He wants you in a relationship that's defined both by passion as well as commitment. Both of those are important. But before you can take hold of, of this wonderful plan... You need to know something about this particular couple that I just told you about. There are millions of Jacks walking around this world today. And Grace is not a girl. Grace is a church. That little story I just read to you comes from a wonderful little book I encourage you to read. Written by Joshua Harris called Stop Dating the Church. Stop dating the church. To give you some examples of what it is like to date the church, let me give you four, four different people and their respective attitudes toward the church. For example, I'm not, if, if I pick anybody's name, it, I didn't mean to do that, okay? I tried to pick some very common, some few common names. But John follows Jesus, but not organized religion. He'd rather go hiking on Sundays. Susan is a church hopper. Here for a while, there for a while. Never stays anywhere very long. Julie found a great singles group in a church. She always goes there on Sunday night to that singles group, but only shows up at church when the sermon seems to be uh, one of interest to her. Nathan loves the preaching at his church, but... He tends to slip out right afterward because he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't want to become attached to any people because relationships are messy things. Never really thought of joining the church. After all, what's the purpose as far as Nathan is concerned? Let me ask you this. What do all four of those individuals have in common? What do they all have in common? Well, they all see themselves as Christians. That's one of the things that's in common. They all have a very similar view of how unimportant it is to commit to a specific local church. 
And I would suggest to you they all misunderstand fundamentally what it means to be a Christian. Today we're going to spend the majority of our time thinking about why Christians should join a local church and why all Christians belong in churches as committed members. Now to do that, I want to take you on a very brief tour in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, of course, is a wonderful book written to a specific local church. That's why it's called Ephesians. Ephesians is uh, great in part because of how it so clearly connects our theology to practice. The first couple chapters of Ephesians is all about theology. It's, it's biblical teaching. And then the last couple chapters is all about uh, the, the practice of that theology. It, it mentions a lot of uh, relationships that we have with people. It's, uh, it's very practical in that regard. It talks about how Christians should live together in this world. I want to give a brief summary of the book here before we look at a couple of verses here in chapter 1. Uh, first of all, chapter 1 is a beautiful description of our salvation. We just read that a few moments ago. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ alone, then you have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he did that for his glory and his honor. I just want to look at a couple verses here to start with in, in chapter 1. Ephesians 1, look at verse 11. Ephesians 1, verse 11, it says that in Him, in, that's in Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Why? So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. Let's stop there. Let me ask you, those two verses we just read, how does that happen? How does that happen? How, in other words, how do we become chosen for the praise of God's glory? Well, we see the gospel laid out a bit more for us in chapter 2. So let's go to chapter 2. And we, we can kind of see where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, here a little bit in chapter 2. Look at uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you, that's the believers in Ephesus, in this church, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, oh, don't you love conjunctions? That's a wonderful conjunction. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's stop there. Well, there you go. <laughs> How did this salvation happen? It says, it is by grace you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that's the theology. Now, let's quickly think of the application based on that theology. That's, that's Paul's typical way of doing things. You read his letters to the churches and these individuals. He often starts off by talking about theology, biblical doctrine, biblical teaching. 
And then, then he applies that biblical teaching. And Ephesians is just like that. So let's talk about some application here. Well, the first application we see comes as we're actually coming down toward the end of chapter 2, and we're, we're getting into chapter 3. And that is that the dividing wall of hostility uh, that, that was in that society at that time uh, had impo- it, had a, it had imposed itself between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, Jew, by the way, is a religion. And, of course, Gentile is everybody who wasn't a Jew. And, and Paul is saying that this dividing wall of hostility in that society had been broken down between the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, it was gone. And we can read that in chapter 2, verse 14. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We'll stop there. So we see a wonderful unity here. Peace. Between, between people who are, who are hostile, at one point, hostile enemies. This unity is so profound, in fact, that Ephesians calls it a mystery. A mystery is something that was previously unknown. It wasn't, it wasn't fully revealed. And the church is one of those mysteries that Ephesians talks about. And we, we see that terminology in chapter 3, verse 3 where Paul calls the church a mystery. Look at, look at verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So this is something that was previously hidden, something that is, that's being revealed. People in the Old Testament didn't understand the doctrine of the church. Didn't understand everything that God was going to do. It was hidden for generations, but now was made known. And and Paul mentions that in verse 6. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, So what unites warring parties here? God says it's the gospel, that good news, Jesus Christ came, paid the penalty of sin. Forgiveness of sins is possible. And if you believe it, he took your place on the cross. You can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Why did God do this, though? Why did he do this? Why create unity between people who have nothing in common except Jesus Christ? Why? Well, look at verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In case you don't understand what Paul's saying there, he's saying this. The angels and the demons, the other heavenly beings out there are watching with wonder at what God is doing in his church. They're amazed. It shows God's wisdom, and God is glorified in what he is doing in his church. So the answer is 
uh, to, to why, why creating this unity between people who have nothing in common except Christ? Why? The answer is the church. Now, this seems an odd place to really introduce the, the most institutional aspect of religion. But if you think about it, this is what makes the church the church. <laughs> the church isn't fundamentally about instruction. Okay? The church isn't just about coming and hearing preaching. The church is not uh, about singing songs on Sunday mornings. It's about a community of people. A community of people who differ from one another. I mean, just look at our little group here. I mean, it's, it's awesome what God's doing. You've got people from various parts of the world, different races. Uh, sometimes you may even have different, uh, you, know, you know, talents that God gives us, different other things that are different about us as well, different personalities, of course. The church isn't fundamentally about uh, instruction or about singing or these sort of things, but... It's about a community of people who are different from each other, at least in the world's eyes. I mean, the world should be looking at us wondering, why do they do that? How do they get along so well? Why do they love each other? People live together in unity and love, and and all the while they do this, they give praise to God. Well, I'm not saying that preaching and instruction from Scripture is unimportant, okay? You understand that instruction from Scripture is what fuels our community. What, what, what brings us together is the Word of God, the truth from Scripture. Praise is, of course, uh, you know, the response of the truth. But the core is loving community, and we do this for the praise of God's glory. In uh, John chapter 13, it's on the screen here, it says this. Here's what Jesus said. A new command I give to you to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another as I have loved you. Now, look at, look at that, those two verses, actually. I think it's verse 34 and 35. And uh, answer this question for me. Who are you to love? Who does Jesus say you should love? Well, some people would say, well, I'm supposed to love everybody. <laughs> yeah, okay, but what, is, what did Jesus say there? Did Jesus say love everybody? No, Jesus said you are to love one another. One another being other Christians. Well, John put it even more bluntly in 1 John chapter 4 when he said this, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't call you a liar, God did, okay? <laughs> All right? God says that, not me. So love between Christians is not just an optional part of the Christian life. You understand that, I hope, by now. It's not an option. It is something that's necessary according to King Jesus. In fact, it's how God intends to show his perfect wisdom according to Ephesians chapter 3. And so when Christians who have nothing in common except Jesus Christ love each other in ways the, the world just scratches their head, they, they, they just can't conceive this, what is that doing? It's, it's showing off God's perfect plan. It's showing off his glory. It's showing his 
power in the gospel. You say, but you know, relationships and people, it's just messy business. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's messy business. No argument for me on that one. And, and relationships hurt, don't they? Whether it's your work relationships, your family relationships, your relationships with friends, or whatever, okay? Um, Even relationships within a church context is messy business and hurts. It's not easy to love people who are different from you. But that's the point that God is making. That love is different in kind from the world's love. The, The world... You know, they, they, you know the, the so-called beautiful people are attracted to the beautiful people. And the intelligent people are, you know, they're kind of attracted to the so-called intelligent people. And the famous people, they're often, you know, attracted to other famous people and hardly go outside those circles. You've heard it said that birds of a feather flock together, right? And that's often the case in the world. But as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Whoa. Man, that's, that's a dagger to the heart right there. Yeah, so, so even those, those people whom the Jews hated, those, those dreaded tax collectors from IRD, man, ooh, man, they even love like that. Don't be like that. Be different from them. Well, that's why a, a small group of people like, like you just does not accomplish the goal that God has set out for the church. That's why a, a singles group is not a church. That's why attending church but not investing with people fails to show off the gospel life that God has created inside of you. Well, hopefully he has anyway. Now, it's one thing to live a holy life in isolation, to be the, the secret agent Christian who's out there all, all by themselves, the Lone Ranger kind of a Christian. You know, that, that's, that's, that's one thing. Be isolated from, from everybody else. But, you know, the world is probably not going to be very impressed by those Christians who love and go and buy these lifestyle blocks and kind of just, you know, homeschool their children, don't want to associate with anybody, you know, be the the hermit kind of a family. You know what I'm talking about? Sadly, I know a few of those. The world's not going to be particularly impressed with that. In fact, they're probably going to attack that. But what is different and, 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 and even, shall we say, revolutionary is Christians who love each other despite the fact, you know, there's different countries and different social statuses and intelligence and other things uh, amongst us. That's revolutionary. What's revolutionary is when people commit to one another despite all of those, those differences. That's the church. People who uh, can, can share in each other's joys and burdens. Can, when, when, when you're crying, you can have a brother or sister come alongside you and cry with you. When you're happy, you know, the, the brother and sister can rejoice with you. That's the church. And, that, and that's why if you consider yourself as a Christian, you need to be an integral part of the church, part of a local church. Now, the rest of the book of Ephesians, I've, last year we finished preaching through Ephesians, so 
I'm not going to do that right now. But, but the rest of the book of Ephesians plays this out in, in very practical terms. Let me just throw out a few of these to you. Paul talks about the importance of unity in chapter 4. And of course the unity is, is all based on theology. The doctrine, it's in the scriptures there. It talks about how our spiritual gifts are intended to serve that particular unity of the local body we call the church. He talks about encouraging each other in chapter 5. And then uh, Paul goes on to, to kind of redefine uh, societal relationships going on into chapter 6. And some of those societal relationships, you're familiar, of course, uh, one of those being husband and wife relationship, the parent and child relationship, the employer-employee relationship. So those, those are redefined here in Scripture for us. And, and Paul does this in terms of this supernatural love that, that we should be finding in the church. How, how can there be unity amongst people who are so different? The only way that's possible is, is because of the gospel. And the book of Ephesians, by the way, isn't the only place you're going to find this emphasis, but it's certainly one of the, the, the clearest, I think. I want you to think of some New Testament uses and images for the church. And hopefully you get, get the point that Ephesians is trying to make here. For example, it's on the screen here, a building. We don't have time to look at these scriptures, okay? But, but Corinthians, Ephesians, 2 Corinthians also mentions that the church is a building. All right, and, then, and, I'll, and I'm going to use these images that Scripture uses and say something about them in just a moment. But number two is, Scripture uses the image of a body in uh, Romans chapter 12 as well as Hebrews chapter 12. First Peter chapter 5, we see the image uh, of the church as a flock of, of, of sheep. It's a flock. Okay? You say, what, what's the point? I'll, I'll get to the point. Hold on. <laughs> Put your seatbelts on. But, but Scripture also uses the imagery in 1 Timothy 3 and Ephesians 1 of a family. The church is a family. Now, in, in all of those, those imagery, the, the images there, we have to ask this question. If we are Christians, what should our relationship to the church be? Why is God using this imagery of the church in the Bible? Well, using those images, number one, if... The church is described as a building. We've got to ask the question, then, where are the bricks? Where are the bricks? Well, they're in a building, right? Bricks are in a building. A brick by itself is practically useless. Buildings made of many bricks. And if they aren't in the building, then they can't really identify with that building, then, can they? And if we're members of a physical body, then how can we not be attached to that body? Right? Body, Scripture uses the imagery of a body, many parts of that body. Okay, And so if part of that body is severed from the body, then that part is not much use, then is it? Well, the Bible also calls us a flock. The church is a flock. And so if we're sheep, then sheep needs to be in the flock. Funny enough, sheep don't like being by themselves, do they? They don't like to be singled out. They, feel, they get really nervous and jittery. And if we're in a family, then we're, we're called to be God's children. We're going to be in his family then and do what healthy families do. 
Now, all the images that are used about being a Christian in the New Testament have this corporate aspect to it. That's one of the points, if you get nothing else from this, get the corporate aspect. Lone Ranger Christians, hermit Christians, secret agent Christians is not biblical. There's a corporate aspect over and over again in Scripture. And and it brings all this up because, or I'm bringing this up, I should say, because a discussion of church membership is something that's counter-cultural. I don't know about you, but last week at our AGM, our annual general meeting, I felt felt a bit strange. I felt like this is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. I, I felt like, what you know we got part of the body you know who who are committed members some some are not it was an odd situation did anybody feel a bit odd or am i the only one we so the members feel odd and i don't know how non-members felt but it was it was a bit of an odd situation that that shouldn't be the normal thing uh but membership is something that's that's countercultural it's unusual today but i'm convinced that we're in special need of addressing this, okay? I want to give you a bit of a vision here, okay? Uh, hopefully this will be encouraging. I, I, don't, I don't mean to come across as, as negative or judgmental. In fact, I want, to, I want to build a glorious vision before you, a way, a way that we can glorify God. That's why I'm, I'm doing this, okay? We live in this very consumer-driven culture, don't we, where... We're brought up and we're cultivated to think that we're consumers that need to be serviced. Very consumer-driven culture we live in. We live, that's what we live in. And, and sadly, these, these ideas of consumerism have leaked into the church, have permeated uh, some churches. But that's not what a church is about. Okay? A church is not about, you know, well, you know what can I get out of it? What, you know, let, me, let me find the best deal out there. That's not what church is about. It's not like a cell phone deal. Let's see if I can find a better one. No. You are to be a provider, not a consumer. Church is not like going and finding the best deal out there. Uh, the one who is actively engaged in this difficult job of loving other brothers and sisters of Christ is going to find it a messy business, yes, but it is how we can glorify God. God is displaying, as we saw in Ephesians 3, He's displaying His glory in the church. His primary way of doing that today. Now all this is a biblical foundation for the idea of joining a healthy church. And if you're already a member of this church, I also want to bring before you that we need to step up and do even better. Okay? We're not a healthy church yet. Hopefully we're progressing toward being a healthy church. We do have a ways to go. Praise God for what he is doing in our midst, but let's not go to sleep here and be apathetic. Okay, we're not where God wants us to be yet, okay? There's, there's more good stuff yet to come, right? So if you get nothing else out of the teaching today, here's what I want you to get. If you are a Christian... God's purpose in saving you was you might bring glory to Him through the life that you're living in communion with other Christians. Because the reality is God could bring Himself glory by having you die and take you to heaven now, right? You could bring Him glory in heaven now. So why isn't He doing that? 
That's because He wants you to bring Him glory as you live in community with other Christians. That's why He's left you here on earth. And so if you don't join yourself with a body of believers in order to live that glorious truth out, then you you fail to live out what the Bible is trying to tell us. What is so absolutely fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you and... Well, it's not about you. Okay, Let me just leave it at that. What, What it is about, though, is it's about you and me and others being a part of a, a church community, loving each other despite our differences, and doing this to bring God glory. Now, I'm going to give you five reasons, okay? Five reasons why every Christian should join a healthy church. Why every Christian should join a healthy church. Now, I, I wish I could go to Scripture and say, here is a command in Scripture. God clearly commands you to join a healthy church. Here is the, the book of joining the healthy church. It, it, it's not there, okay? Right? It's not that obvious in Scripture. You have to engage your brain a little bit to come to the conclusion that every Christian should join a healthy church. It's not explicit. It's implied. Right? All right? So let's, let's think about some reasons here, okay? Uh, first of all, I want us to turn to Ephes- or, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians... Chapter 5, you can go back in your Bible, past Ephesians and Galatians, 2 Corinthians, and we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And what we're going to see here in, in this passage, and we could look at others, is that we need to join a church for non-Christians. And by non-Christian, I mean somebody who has never put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. They're, they're not a believer. They're not a Christian. They're a non-Christian. Right? So you need to join a, Christ, a church for the non-Christians. You say, I don't get it. Well, put your seatbelt on, right? Hang on. This should make sense. But This is a very famous passage here in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul's writing again to another local church, the church at Corinth. And I want you to see what it says here. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Follow along in your Bible there. Uh, the Holy Spirit says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Let's stop there. Let me make a few comments on this passage, okay? Hopefully you understand why I'm, I'm saying we need to join a church for non-Christians. Now, one of the reasons that we join a church is because it's there to help us understand if we're truly living as God calls Christians to live. God has certain things He's told us to do. 
joining a, a church will be helpful in us to know whether or not we're actually living according to how God has prescribed us to live. Now, this man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 here probably thought of himself as a Christian. Apparently, he's going to church. He probably went there regularly, as far as we can tell. Uh, He probably did all the things a person would do in that community there. And that is precisely the reason why Paul had to write and, and to tell this church to take action against this immoral man. Somehow, they had... uh, they had to make it clear to that man for his sake that his immoral actions were that of somebody who was an unbeliever, somebody who is a non-Christian. That person should not think of himself as a Christian because he's not living as one. That's what Scripture says. So my friends, um, some, some people think, well, man, that's unloving. That is unloving. No, in fact, this is a loving thing to do, to do what God tells us to do. <laughs> All right? God knows what's best. And one reason why you need to join a church is because when we do that, the gospel is made clear to you, to others, to, to non-Christians. It's defined, it's made visible by Christians who are gathering together to form congregations of believers. Now, one of the most important results is that non-Christians are going to be able to see, and, 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 might, and might use this kind of language. They, they might say, for example, I'm calling myself a Christian, but I'm not really living like one. Well, may, maybe that's because I'm not a Christian. You know, I'm, not, I'm not like that group over there. So those who are outside the church can, can hopefully see a body of believers committed and passionate with one another and say, I'm not like that, but that's what I want to be like. How do I get there? Okay? I hope you understand. Church membership serves non-Christians, both non-Christians who are outside the church, and it also serves the non-Christians who are inside the church. You say, are there unbelievers in the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. We just talked about that in Matthew chapter 7, right? In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, there's, there's plenty of those who are on the easy road to destruction who, who, who claim to know Jesus Christ, but Jesus doesn't know them. So the problem is that uh, we, we can fool ourselves. Church attendees sometimes fool themselves about the fellowship that they claim with God. and uh, It's sad. But let me be clear here for a moment, okay? because I know I've had some, some discussions with some of you and other people on this issue. Let me be clear. I don't think church membership is essential for salvation. Okay, I'm not saying if you never join a church that you're not going to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, so are, are we clear on that? <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I do think we can deceive ourselves sometimes, okay? Uh, sadly, the scripture talks about that. We need to be wary of our hearts. Our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. And so the main thing that God has set up for us to deal with our self-deception is the local church. We need one another. The church is kind of like, uh, if you will, let me call it this, an, an assurance co-op. 
an assurance co-op where people kind of come together and, and, and help one another. You, you see that sometimes in farming communities. They're, they're pretty good at that. I've seen them do that, at least on the South Island. It's being in a community of people where we get to know them and we, we allow them to get to know us. We, we, we relate to one another. And that's how we see whether or not we're living out the Christianity that we actually profess with our lips. It's not enough to just profess something with your lips. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, you, you, you must do his will. Who, how do you know if you're a, a Christian? Jesus said, the one who does my will is the one who is a, a real believer on that hard road. Well, unfortunately, one negligent, uh, one way negligent, I should say, negligent church membership has been encouraged and, and has evidenced itself is through the altar call that uh, some churches use, where this idea they call people to come forward in a church service and uh, accept Jesus Christ as Savior and, you know, you know let's sign a card, pray, pray a prayer. Uh, sadly, I think churches have, have used, who have used the altar calls end up filling their churches with non-Christians by doing that. They sincerely intend, you know, to be a Christian, which is why they, they might even embarrass themselves by coming forward in the church service, going and talking to somebody else, but... Yeah, they may, they may pray a prayer, they might sign a card, or talk to some counselor or whatever. But uh, sometimes they don't, they don't genuinely know Jesus Christ. Don't know what's going on necessarily. They don't give any signs of really knowing the Lord. And that's why uh, we don't give altar calls, by the way. Uh, I certainly don't, I don't want somebody to think that they're going to heaven based on some, some, some practice or method that our church performs. I want to be clear that the gospel is all about Jesus Christ and his finished work. It's not about what, what you do. So, so what do we do? What is the solution? What is the solution? Well, you call people to repentance and to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's, that's what you do. We don't have to ask people to associate repentance with some physical activity like coming forward in a church service walking down an aisle saying some extra-biblical sinner's prayer. Or uh, we don't have to associate those things with being a Christian. That's not what it is to be a Christian. And if you want to be a Christian, well, then you do what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus said to repent and believe. That's what you do. Repenting of your sins, turning to Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe who He said He is and what He did. It's not what you do. One thing we as a church should do is we need to make the gospel crystal clear to the non-Christian. Heaven forbid that you or me or our church should deceive someone into thinking they're on their way to the celestial city when they're on the way to destruction. Whoa. You don't want to be a part of that, do you? I hope not. So number one, you join a church for the non-Christian. Number two, join a church for weaker Christians. Join a church for weaker Christians. Now, I'm sure we all know people who think they're Christians. They've been badly wounded. They've been taught that, uh, Christ, that Christian consumerism is okay. You know, they got that, that consumer mentality when it comes to the church. 
Sadly, there's many of those. They, they take it upon themselves to be their own shepherd. They, they wander around managing their own spiritual portfolios. And uh, they can be in those situations for sometimes weeks and months and sometimes even years on end. But all Christians are to be a part of a church where there's, there's the ordinances practiced, such as baptism and Lord's Supper, where the Word of God is rightly and faithfully preached, where there are people whom you can respect in a spiritual way. Those are all important aspects of a church. That's the normal way to be a Christian, according to God. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian on your own, okay? There are people who, as I said, never joined a church who are Christians. But I am saying that I've seen, sadly, many sheep wandering around the fold, so to speak, of Christianity. They're in great danger because they've accepted this this selfish idea of what it means to be a Christian. Very selfish. And one of the reasons you need to join a church is for other people. It's not about you. It's for those weaker Christians. You need to come alongside somebody else. Help them. Okay? You need to be discipling other people. As you yourself are being discipled, you need to be discipling other people. That's the Great Commission. You should help dry up the market that's no longer socially acceptable to call yourself a Christian and not be committed to a local church. Dry up that market. It's not acceptable to God. So we as Christians, we need to try and clean up our own act in this regard so that we can be a help to those who think it is acceptable. Unfortunately, the current situation is one where the church is seen as is just an, it's an added-on option. You know, you, you could take it or leave it. No, you can't. You can't. God's plan is not about you as some uh, individual God is concerned about something that's far larger and grander than just you as an individual. Uh, The local church is something that God wants you to be a part of. Now, perhaps by you giving your life to other people in a committed fashion like this, those who are weaker in the faith are actually going to be strengthened in their faith. But if you don't get involved in their life, they might stay in that situation. That's a sad, sad thing, but that's, that's a reality. So I encourage you to join a church for the sake of weaker Christians. Okay, You're always going to find somebody who's weaker than you, right? Join it for them, if for no other reason. Number three, you say, well, that's not good enough. All right, join a church for stronger Christians, okay? Join a church for stronger Christians. You say, well, how do you define a strong Christian anyway? What is that? Well, Does it include being a committed member of a local church? Does it? Or is that just something that's an option? Well, let me tell you this. If you think it's an option, I want to challenge you in your thinking here. Okay? It's good to be challenged in our thinking. That's a good thing. Sharpens us. Let's think back to the passage that I referenced earlier in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Remember, Jesus said, a new command I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another as I have loved you. Let's think about that. 
It seems like the kind of love that we as Christians should have for each other is a fundamental part of God's plan for evangelizing the world. That's what it seems to be saying there to me. Unfortunately, in all of man's great plans for evangelism, they, sometimes the, God's plan for the church is left out of the picture. But I think when it works out as it should, it's a tremendous witness for Christ. It is. God displays His glory in the church. The Bible says, in fact, here's what the Bible says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Who are the brothers? That's referring to other Christians. This is how love is displayed. Now, Christian love is not just being kind toward everybody you run across as you go throughout your day. Okay? Now, it may include that, but at the heart of it, there's, there's something the Bible talks about. It shows there, there's, there's to be a special love for the brethren, for other believers, for other Christians. It's a love that's especially focused on other Christians, particularly on other Christians that you're a part of in a local church setting. This, this group of people whom you hopefully see. That's why Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? So you can encourage one another and edify one another, exhort one another to love and good works. But if you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, then you're not doing that as God prescribes to do in Hebrews 10. So a local church is about loving people. It's being able to continue to love in that way with, uh, with these people whom you have nothing in common with except Jesus Christ. So the third reason to join a church is to join for the stronger Christians. Let, let me just bear my heart for one moment. I've been here trying to establish a church here now for five years. Okay? I couldn't tell you how many times I've been tempted to quit. Almost every single Monday, in fact, (laughs) over the last five years. It's very discouraging. You pour your heart, your soul, sometimes my own blood, sweat, in fact, my tears, into people who stab you in the back. And those who don't stab you in the back and leave are not don't seem to be on the same team as I'm playing on. You ever, you ever try to play on a team where you got people who are not committed to the team? That's frustrating. Might show up at practice. You don't actually know if they're on the team or not. You don't haven't defined the nature of the relationship. <laughs> That's a frustrating situation if you're playing in a sports setting like that. You know, they show up whenever they want. You know, ah, I don't want to do that. No. All right. We're a team. I'm trying to define the nature of the relationship here. And it's discouraging if, if we're, we're, we're not together, we're not unified, and it's, you know, it's, it's discouraging, okay? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had to flee to the bush, cry my eyes out over Scripture because of what people have done or aren't doing. 
I don't know what else to do other than run to, to God in these situations. It's, it's, it's hard, okay? It's discouraging, all right? So I, I want you to know that, I don't know, some, sometimes people think I come across as fake or whatever, okay? Like, like I, you know, I somehow got it all together and I'm, you know, I'm perfect, which of course I'm not. It's ridiculous to even think about that, but I don't, okay? I often get discouraged. I need you. Anyway, let's move on. Number four, join a church for church leaders. Join a church for church leaders. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about this. That you're to submit yourself to the leadership of, of a church. Why? Because it says, they watch out for your soul. In fact, Hebrews 13 says it's, it's profitable for you if you submit to church leadership. It is profitable for you. You should do it for yourself. (laughs) You need somebody to watch out for your soul. Everybody should have a pastor. By the way, did you know pastors also have pastors? Did you know that? I also have a pastor. I need somebody to watch out for my soul, which is one reason why churches should have multiple elders. So I hope you're praying for that, by the way. We need multiple elders. We need deacons. Pray for that, please. But join a church for church leaders. Now, membership of this church, uh, the members of this church, they know. Uh, I've, I've heard their testimonies. I've asked them questions about their understanding of the gospel. I've committed to pray for them regularly. That's part of being a committed church member. Church leaders can't function if everybody is, is living with this cons- consumeristic mentality. That doesn't make for a healthy church. Imagine if nobody would commit and people just kept hopping and shopping around and, and saying things like this. Well, I like, I like this church over here for this aspect, and I like this church over here for this aspect, and never commit anywhere. In fact, I even heard of a guy one time in the States. He'd go to the church for the music part of their service over here because he liked the music of that church but hated the preaching. So as soon as the music was done, hopped in his car over to another church and would come in and walk in, sit in the back and listen to the preaching. Because he liked the preaching at the other church. Well, that doesn't make for a healthy church. (laughs) The only reason there's churches is because people realize that no church is perfect. Okay? There is no such thing as a perfect church. I don't know why people keep looking for them. Here's what you have to say, my friends, okay? Here's what you have to say. You've got to say, I'm going to settle down in one place. I'm going to try, and I'm going to prosper here in this place. You know, I, I, hopefully you can mostly agree with what's being taught here. Hopefully you can mostly agree with the statement of faith and, and, and the summary of how we should live, which is, by the way, the church covenant. These are things that you need to be in good conscience of. By the way, notice I said mostly substantial agreement. I I purposely put those words in the church constitution, substantial agreement, because none of us are going to see eye to eye in everything. It won't happen on this side of heaven. It just won't happen. So in the essentials, we can have unity. In non-essentials, there can be diversity in all things love. Number five, join a church for God. Join a church for God. It's interesting... When you, when you try to get the big picture of the book of Acts, read through the book of Acts, 
It is the Lord who is adding to the church. It says that several times. He is the one who is bringing these Christians to the church. It's His church. They're identifying with His church. And who identifies with the church? Well, if you look at chapter 2 and chapter 4, it's, it's fascinating that when the Apostle Paul, who's called Paul or Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded by God, <laughs> falls on the ground. Do you remember what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul after he was blinded by that light? You remember what he said? Jesus says to Saul at that time, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting those Christians? No, that's not what he said, right? He didn't say that. No, he didn't say that. He doesn't even say, Saul, Saul, why are you going to persecute the church? No, he didn't say that either, did he? No. In fact, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's what Jesus said. Wait a minute. Wasn't Saul on his way to Damascus to throw the Christians in prison? Yes. So why did Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? Because believers and Christians in the church are inseparably linked with the head who is Jesus. That's the point. In Acts chapter 20, it says the church is the body of Christ and that God bought the church with his own blood. It wouldn't be a body without Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about all the bits of your life, and I don't know everything about your journey in your lives or how you've been brought up to regard the church. or I don't even know, you know what, what you're all even thinking about this message itself. But in the New Testament, the church is regarded as the body of Christ. That was bought with his own blood. That's what God is about, my friends. And my question for you is, are you about the same thing that God is about? Let me address those of you who are faithful in attending. Praise God. I'm very thankful for you. It's encouraging to me in your faithful attendance. Let me talk to you who tithe and serve, but actually haven't become a member. Okay? I love you. And it hurts me that you haven't joined the team yet, okay? And so we as members are begging you to commit to this local church. We need you. We want you. So please stop dating our church and get married. Okay? Quit, stop. Don't stop looking for a better wife. Okay? Don't be like so many people in our society who just shack up and Refuse to get married. No, please don't do that. Well, much more could be said. Let me just uh, wrap this up, okay? Why join a church? All right, there's more reasons we could talk about, certainly. But join a church for the non-Christians, for weaker Christians, for stronger Christians, for church leaders, and for God himself. All right? That's enough. All right, we could talk more. But I, I want you to know we take church member membership very seriously here and for those who want to join by the way uh, i know somebody asked me this last week you know what do you have to do okay well you have to be in substantial agreement with the church's statement of faith and, and the church covenant doesn't mean you agree with every dotted i and cross t and everything okay 
Uh, but you have to agree on the gospel at least, right? The other essentials of the faith. In those things, there must be unity. In non-essentials, there can be diversity. In fact, we've had members in the past whom I don't see to eye with. They don't see eye to eye with me, but nevertheless, they still became church members. That's fine, right? Those are non-essentials. And so, by agreeing to live out this, the covenant, by the way, the church covenant is just the one another commands of Scripture. That's all it is, right? <laughs> That's all it is. So, by agreeing to live out the covenant, those one another commands... We then, uh, we're understanding, we as church members are understanding that uh, you're sharing with us the, the same desire, the same understanding of what the Christian life should look like. But uh, we need to know that you would commit yourself to live out those one another commands. Now, together as a congregation, we're going to try to be committed to living out those one another commands with you. So there's great benefits. Right? We're to obey the one another commands of Scripture, like forgiving and bearing and loving and so forth. Now, suppose, let me ask you this. Suppose you had to run for church membership as a, some political candidate runs for political office. Would you win or lose? How would you do? Suppose a church membership were good for one year only and that re-election depended on the good you had done in the church during that one year. How would you do? Would you be re-elected or not? Suppose every member in the church did as much for the church as you do. Would more seats be needed or would we have to shut the doors? How would we do? Those are good questions to ask of yourself. Right. By the way, those of you who, who say you're committed church members, um, I, question, I question you, are you really a committed church member? It's not enough to just come and sit here. That's not enough. So let, let me just give you a few points from uh, Thabiti's book, What is a Healthy Church Member? Okay? And this is not exhaustive. We could add more to this, but... You say, well, what does a committed church member look like? Well, here's some things of what it looks like, right? Number one, committed church member expresses love toward other Christians. Number two, attends regularly. Hebrews 10 says you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Number three, you seek peace. Romans 14 says you seek peace. You, you pursue it like you really want it really bad. Okay? So... If, if you ever wonder why, even, even if I have the slightest inkling in my mind that th- there's, there's some barrier between you and me, I'm going to pursue you. If I have to, I will show up your house unannounced. Because God says, seek peace, pursue it. It's not an option. That's what committed people do with one another. But too many people... They don't pursue it, you know. If there's some little disagreement, then sometimes they never talk to one another ever again for the rest of their life. That's not acceptable. Number four, you edify others. You, you, the edification there, you, you, you build them up in the faith. Number five, you warn and admonish others. Matthew 18 being the, the church discipline passage there. Okay, that's, that's loving, by the way. That's loving to do that. And number six, you... Pursue reconciliation. 
Number seven, you bear with others. And in fact, it, uh, Galatians 6 talks about you bear other people's burdens. You come alongside them. Um, and and that, can look, that can look like practical things sometimes. You know, maybe, maybe for example, some, a couple of weeks ago, somebody said, Hey, Scott, do you have a chainsaw? Yeah, I got a chainsaw, and I love using it, too. Thanks for asking. <laughs> oh, yeah, get to cut some stuff down. Well, that's just one little practical thing where I can help bear somebody else's burden who doesn't have a chainsaw and then shouldn't, really shouldn't be paying somebody to come in and do that sort of thing on their section. Right? But it's not just physical. It's, it's spiritual things. Sometimes we can, we can send an encouraging email, a card, or visit them. And say, hey, take them out for a cup of coffee somewhere at a cafe and, and, and help encourage them in that way. All right? Those are just a few practical aspects. And number eight, you prepare for the ordinances. Committed church members don't just show up and say, Oh, oh, I forgot. Uh, we're having Lord's Supper today. Ooh, uh, let's see. Do I have any sins in my life I need to confess? Uh, no, can't think of any. Okay, I get to take today. No, it, 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 that's not the proper way to do that. One reason we put it on the church calendar is so that you can prepare ahead of time, prepare your soul ahead of time. You ought to be coming in here knowing we're having Lord's Supper or have, we're having a baptism, or whatever. If, and by the way, when, when we do, we usually go down to the river. And so, uh, you know, committed church members go to the ordinances when the church has them, and they're committed to them. But number nine, you support the work of the ministry, according to Romans chapter 12. Those are just a few things of how the rubber meets the road. What, what does it actually look like to be a church member? But you read the church covenant as well. That'll be helpful to you. Uh, that's, like I said, all the one another commands of Scripture. If you have any more questions on this, i uh, be more than happy to talk to you about this. Uh, the bottom line is every Christian should join a healthy church. Be totally committed to that specific group of people. Not, not the universal church. You know, that, that's kind of airy-fairy, you know, too general, painting with too broad of a brush. All right? Specific people. You need to pray for specific people. You need to bear one another's burdens. Specific people. Love specific people. Not the body of Christ in general. Please, join. We're begging you. We need you. We want you. I love you. And it hurts me deeply that you don't want to be playing on my team. So, join, please.